0: Hello, my fellow weird friends. How you doing? Thank you for being so patient to get the second episode up of your cutoff. As you know, I started college again, so medical terminology and anatomy give me zero extra time besides eating maybe one meal a day and getting maybe five hours of sleep. If you hear any extra background noise, it's because I'm a mom and the kids are home and this is the only time I have to record right now. So, last episode, we left off where there was the pile of bloody clothes Joel Michael Jr. had cut off of his lifeless mother and his father's body. And located beside the bloody pile of clothes were a pair of scissors. So let's get right in to part two of your cutoff. The week preceding Thanksgiving was supposed to be Lisa Guy's last week of work, Friday being the very last day, and then she was a retired woman. On that Monday, the supervisor where Lisa worked, Jennifer Whited, was shocked and very suspicious when Lisa was a no-call, no-show on Monday morning, especially because the other fellow women at work We're supposed to be having a special lunch with Lisa to celebrate her retirement. Jennifer gave Lisa about 5 to 15 minutes just in case she had woken up late or there was heavy traffic, even though this was not like Lisa one bit. If she couldn't make it in for work, she would have called prior. Those 15 minutes went by, still no Lisa. Jennifer begins to get worried and she not only starts to text and call Lisa with no answer, but she also tries to call Joel Sr. and he didn't answer either. It wasn't like Lisa to skip work or not answer Jennifer's phone calls or texts. Enough time had passed where worry really set in. When Jennifer was unable to reach Lisa or her husband Joel Sr., Something terrible felt wrong, and Jennifer did what everybody should do in the same situation. She called the non-emergency 911 line and explained the situation and voiced her concern and wanted a patrol officer to drop in and do a welfare check, just to be sure everything was alright. Steve Bowler was the first officer to conduct a welfare check. He knocked on the door, announced himself, peeped in the windows, took note that there were three vehicles there, and without any reason to enter the home, he left. This didn't satisfy Jennifer, who had still not heard back from Lisa, and urged someone to go back and check one more time. This time, Jeremy McCourt with the K-9 unit dropped in for the second welfare check. He noted a lot of odd and disturbing findings that the previous officer had missed. The house still had a for sale realty sign in the yard, but the front doorknob did not have a lockbox present. Not only that, the doorknob looked to be out of place, like it was too small and you could see the original outline of paint where the previous knob once was. He knocked and rang the doorbell, announced himself, still no answer. As he peered through the front door window, he seen groceries scattered on the foyer's floor, which he noted was odd. The officer walked around the back of the home to discover the back doorknob was completely missing and looked as if it had been the one to replace the front doorknob, all while the officer could hear dog barks coming from inside the house. This further set warning signs off and the officer calls the realtor for the house to ask her if she knows about their whereabouts. She instructed them to look in one of the vehicles parked outside to see if there was a garage door opener that could grant them access in the garage. When the garage door was opened, the officer and a few more officers who had arrived on scene made note of what looked like gas cans containing some form of liquid in the garage. Nothing else seemed to be out of place except The door leading into the house felt very warm. The officer could feel from the inside of the house the heat radiating out to the garage. And there was a very strong but unidentifiable odor. This is when the officers knew they had reasoning to enter the home. As they did so, they once again announced themselves to anyone who might be inside. No response. The house was very hot. The thermostat was cranked up to 90 degrees. There was a large pot on the stove top still simmering. The officers could not identify the smell. It was such a strong chemical odor. As they made their way up the stairs, the smell seemed to get stronger and the heat seemed to get hotter. This is when they noticed what appeared to be blood spots on the carpet and the walls. There was a gate at the top of the stairs for what looked like a dog. Luckily, one of the officers had gloves in his possession and was able to open the gate to preserve the crime scene. This is when they made the brutal discovery of a large pool of blood on the carpet with those bloody clothes at the top of the stairs. And inside the exercise room, an officer is heard saying on body camera footage, quote, are those human hands, unquote. This is when the officers backed off to call in forensics. Something terrible had happened here and they needed the experts to preserve the scene. The scene was secured and inside there were more gruesome discoveries to be found. The hall bath held two bloody knives in the sink. The exercise room was covered in blood, and Joel Sr.'s severed hands lying on the floor. Making their way into the master bedroom, the smell got stronger. There was a plastic sheeting covering portions of the master bed and the master floor carpet. But inside the master bathroom is where the foul odor source was found. Inside two plastic totes, the storage kind that you buy after the holidays to store away decorations in your basement, they were found filled with an unknown liquid and inside were cut up body parts. Arms, torso, hands, legs... And downstairs in the large pot, the size that you would broil crab or a turkey in, uncovered the decapitated head of Lisa Guy. Once Joel Magle had finished the brutal killings and removal of clothing from his parents is when he went to town on mutilating the body in hopes of a quick decomposition process, all a part of a very well thought out plan which we will cover later, um, that was found in a handwritten note in the bedroom that Joel Michael had stayed in over the holidays. But before this note was found, there was a receipt that was found that had a time and date stamp on it from Walmart. And the items on that receipt were medical, items such as bandages, um, things that you would purchase if you were wounded, the first aid kit. So, as usual, they traced the receipt back to a self-checkout video surveillance at Walmart. And who was making the purchases? No other than Joel Michael Jr. himself, with an already bandaged hand. The timestamp was around 3 o'clock p.m. the same afternoon, just hours after his mom, Lisa, was last seen on her grocery trip before heading home to meet her dreadful fate. Here's your listener discretion. I know this case has already been pretty brutal, but it's about to get way more detailed here in 54321. Joel Sr.'s arms were severed at the joint of the shoulder blade. Both of his legs were removed at the hips. His right foot was removed from the ankle. Lisa's arms were removed at the shoulders, and her legs were cut off below the knee. Her right hand was severed from her right arm, and her head was completely decapitated from her torso. The way he diced them up is besides me. I'm not sure if he was doing things in such a way to fit them into the totes, and why the head was simmering on the stove. The anthropologist testified that Lisa's head was broken from part of the spine, the atlas, meaning that he discovered that a blunt force object was used to apply pressure to her neck before it was severed from her spine. The body parts were placed in separate sterilite totes and covered with a corrosive liquid substance, some of which from the receipts and evidence in the house was Drano drain cleaner. The timeline thus far proves that the murder took place November 26th and Joel Michael returned to Baton Rouge on the 27th. The bodies were discovered on November 28th. Joel Michael was arrested from his apartment in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. There's still so much to cover in this case, and so next episode, we will get further into the trial of Joel Michael Jr. I watched the entire trial streamed on YouTube, not live. I had found this maybe months later. I believe his sentencing is set for this month. I found it to be very difficult at times to listen and disturbing to look at Joel Michael's emotionless face. Thank you for sticking around if you've made it this far. Don't forget to subscribe if you like this podcast and share this link with your friends on social media. I always appreciate and love ratings and reviews. I read every single one. Thank you, Franny and Shiloh, for the awesome five-star ratings and reviews. You both are too sweet, and I love hearing feedback from my weird friends. Until next time, stay weird, my friends. Oh, and one more thing. Hi, Mom. Thank you.